0: morning, everyone. Did you know yeah. <laughs> that God technically was a facts guy? The bi- a facts guy. The Bible, well, as well as being a history and being a bit of a novel and an instruction manual, was also an encyclopedia. In Isaiah forty twenty two, it says, he sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. Now, I'm sorry, flat earthers, but circles are round. So God is telling you straight away. And in Samuel 22, it states, the valleys of the sea were exposed and the foundations of the earth laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord. Now, the existence of valleys in the seas was only discovered discovered, by geologists in the 1900s. Anyway, I digress. I I'm not, I'm not, promise I'm not going to just spend a half an hour talking about arbitrary facts like I would normally. I'm sure everyone has heard the saying that the more things change, the more they stay the same. And this is very evident when we look at God's word and realize just how applicable the lessons from 2,000 years ago and longer are even in this strange and confusing modern world that we live in. And I promise there was no chat GPT involved in doing this sermon. (laughs) Trust me. Um, With that in mind, can we just bow our heads and ask God for his blessing as we hear his word this morning? Lord, thank you for allowing us all to be here today, and we just ask that you open our hearts and minds to receive your message, to hopefully understand it, and take away something that will help us grow closer to you we ask that you are with each and every person here and that their lives are forever changed in knowing you. We ask this all in your son's holy name. Amen. So thank you to the Lord for allowing me to be his loudspeaker today. Uh, unaccustomed as I am to public speaking, I will try my best to engage and enlighten you on our chosen passage and that today is from 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 13 to 25. And my, the title or what my sermon will be about is exiles in a modern world. So if you want to turn to First Peter 1, verses 13, and I'm going to read through the passage, and as I do, I'd like you to follow along and just think about the kinds of challenges that we face as brothers and sisters in our walk with Christ each and every single day. Therefore, with minds that are alert... He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. So if we look here, the first thing that we need to understand is the author of this text is Peter. Peter, who some people say was the most favored of all the disciples. Peter, who was the rock on whom Jesus was going to build his his church. Peter, who was present at miracles. Peter, who performed healing after Jesus was gone along with the other apostles. I mean, this really sounds... marvelous and miraculous. And it's really impressive. But in all of that, Peter was just like us. Peter was a man. He had doubts. He had fears. He didn't feel good enough. And he felt sometimes as if he was swimming against the tide when compared to the vast majority of humanity at that time. So as he wrote this epistle mainly aimed at Christians and Gentiles who were in exile. And this is going to maybe sound a bit familiar with our modern world. People who were exiled, strangers, foreigners, out of sync with the culture and the world around them. He was writing to try and tell them how to act and think as Christians in this situation. He's trying to remind them of the nature of their relationship to God and our relationship to God now and the response that it should invoke in us he's reminding us of who we belong to as those who have been redeemed by Christ if we take a look at the first three verses I'll just read it, it says therefore with minds that are alert and fully sober set your hope on the grace of to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as He called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, "Be holy, because I am holy." Straight away, we're reminded here that there was some good news that these people were hearing: news of the news that Jesus would return and our salvation would be at hand. In these first few verses we're told of an imperishable inheritance that we are going to receive. And immediately when we hear stuff like that when we hear some news any news the question arises and so now what what are we going to do with that? I know that a question we often that's a question we often face in many aspects of our lives. I mean personally when I found out that Tammy was pregnant, I was euphoric, I was happy, I was overjoyed. And then when that wore off, my brain kicked in and went, and so now what? (laughs) What am I going to do? And especially when we thought it was going to be triplets. Um, So we see that the first word there is therefore. And and that's a clue there that Peter's writing that he's got some information. And Peter is writing this, but it's God who's speaking through him. And he's saying, okay, I understand, you're going to have some questions, but calm down. I'm going to tell you what to do. But you need to be in a certain state of mind. You need to be sober and alert, a mind fully alert. And sober is not saying, I hope you haven't had too many beers before we look at this. What he's saying, he wants us to be serious. That's what the definition of sober there. He wants us to have a serious look at the following text. And... There's also a couple of other words which are key elements in these these first few verses. and that, there's one where it says, obedient children. We all know the meaning of obedience. We all know that that's what God expects of us. But the other word there is holy. Holiness and obedience is what God expects. Now, holiness tends to send up, I don't know, Warning bells, red flags in our minds sometimes. God is holy, Jesus is holy, but we're not holy. I for sure am not holy. I mean I might have a sock or two in the back of my drawers, that might be holy, but that's a different story. In this day and age we're trying to be our best, we're trying our best, sorry, we're trying our best to be culturally relevant. Just for the sake of winning over the lost and the unbelievers to the side of Christ. Well, holy, holiness, in that aspect, it sounds a little outdated. But is it? Is holiness outdated? And if it is, what are we going to do with this scripture's direct instruction? Be holy, because I am holy. answer to these questions may be, may be found in the definition of holiness. The modern interpretation of holiness is usually stated as a person's private moral choices. But I think somewhere along the line, we've actually missed the real meaning. God's definition of holiness is more being dedicated for God, being set apart from sin and its influence and that's a key word, influence, when we think of how many people are influencers in this day and age. And with that in mind, is it possible for us to be holy? Can our minds be sober and be fully alert when there's influences around? Should we even lead a life of holiness? Well, it's funny you might ask that because I have a few thoughts. Holiness has a few aspects in that I think that we need to be reminded of. Holiness, first and foremost, reminds us of the character of God. As you know, we're expecting, and one of the fun things associated with having a child is when everyone asks, who do you think the baby's going to take after? Who's it going to look like? I, I think it's quite amusing when you, someone says, oh, they've got their mom's nose or their dad's chin or their uncle so-and-so's bald spot and weird middle toe. And granted, there are some physical characteristics that will identify a child, but children often also copy other characteristics of their parents. It's the nature of children to imitate their parents. We should delight in imitating God's character. We should delight in the fact that in these verses, Peter is reminding us and them in those days as Christians to be like God because he is our father and because his moral excellence, his moral choices are beautiful. They are desirable. And to be like him is the best way to be. If we want to take away anything from this part where the character of God Maybe it's helpful to remember how good and loving God is, but also to think if we, any of us remember those little bands people always used to wear, WWJD, what would Jesus do? I bet you if he was in my shoes, perhaps he wouldn't be doing some of the things that we do in this day and age. Second thing holiness tells us is it reminds us about the discipline of God. God both blesses and disciplines Christians according to their conduct and we're told that there's a healthy outcome from this and that healthy outcome of God scrutinizing every action we take and every thought that we think is mentioned in those verses relevant fear this fear I believe is arises from the fact that if we don't act in a godly manner God is going to bring necessary and consequential discipline into our lives that will correct our course. Think of it, if you will, as God's shambok or his slipper. That reverent fear should be brought about by asking, does what I'm doing stand up under God's scrutiny? Because if it doesn't, he's bringing the discipline. And the third thing that holiness should remind us of is the price and plan of our salvation. In these verses, Peter reminds us of the ultimate motive for holy living, our salvation. He reminds us of the price that Jesus paid. And in verse 18, Peter uses the word redeemed. I don't know how often any of us use that word in our daily lives except if we've been lucky enough to be given some kind of a coupon for Android or Apple Play and we're redeeming those funds. But in those days, when the passage was written, there were probably about 60 million slaves that existed in the Roman Empire. And those slaves could purchase their freedom if they could get enough funds. And this purchasing of freedom or redemption... That they could get was a precious thing it was a costly thing and this passage reminds us that we were and are and could be slaves to the empty sinful ways of life that were handed down generation after generation unless we guard against it in some translations of the verses it says to gird up the loins of your mind to guard against these influences And when we are tempted by sin, remember that Jesus paid the ultimate price to bring us to freedom. You know, in Hebrews 6, it actually says we put Christ again on the cross with repeated sins. If we think of that, what we should then be thinking is that holiness, as we've been talking about it, actually means we should be separate from the world we should be exiled we should be strangers from the way that other people live their life to live a life for our creator so when an et driver is going to try your patience because he's cut you off when zesa disappears for the fifth time in the last two hours when you face temptation towards Anger or impurity and it's gonna get the best of you. Let's remember that in these passages God is calling us to obedience and holiness because these are the products of our relationship with God and that holiness reflects the character of God, the discipline and scrutiny of God, and the price of our salvation that Christ paid on the cross. And so here we are. We found out about holiness and we, we have accepted that as Christians, our lives should be ones that have obedience and holiness at its center. But unfortunately, even as modern Christians, just because we know something doesn't mean we're motivated to use that knowledge. I mean, my wife knows I like chocolate cake. Doesn't mean I always get it. We all know people. Who have gone to university and got a degree, and then never use that knowledge ever again. So in these passages, Peter gives his audience, the, the recipient of his epistle, but also us as Christians now, some reasons to be faithful, to continue to live for Christ as exiles, as strangers to the rest of the world. The first thing is saying as a reason, is that God, our Father, is fair and impartial in His judgment. He doesn't have favorites. It says in the text, since you call on a Father who judges each person's work impartially. Now, it's easy when you feel like you're on the outside looking in when you don't belong. You can feel and even experience the fact that The work you're doing is not valued like other people's that other maybe you've been passed over for a promotion and or someone's getting paid more to do less than you do maybe someone looks down on you because of where you live or what car you drive or what phone you use but what we should know is that even though it seems unfair and it is unfair in a certain way that God Our Father is the ultimate judge of our actions. He is impartial. He doesn't care about all these other factors. And so therefore we should live out our time as foreigners in reverent fear. And he's saying this because he has two reasons for this reverent fear. He says first of all God is not only our Father but he's our judge. He will judge our actions and our thoughts. And the second reason is because, as was mentioned earlier, we've been ransomed or redeemed from our former sinful ways that we've inherited from friends and family and the culture around us. So live your life in reverent fear, because even though we've been redeemed, we're not excluded from God's judgment. It's impartial, sure but he's not going to ignore bad behavior. God's shambok. Just remember. And warnings like this are one of the ways that God uses the Bible to keep us from complacency. The second reason that we have to, to live in this way is that the salvation we have is imperishable. It's there in the text, imperishable. We are not redeemed by mere perishable gold or silver. But by the precious blood of Christ. Precious because it is the blood of God's own Son. Again, when you have that sense of alienation or exile from the surrounding culture, it's easy to feel to feel as if it would be more sensible to just go with the flow. Accept what you hear. Cave in to the mainstream thoughts. Surely that would be safer. And wiser than going against the grain however God's word teaches us that our status before God and after being born again in God is not perishable it is imperishable it is enduring in other words our salvation is not going to fade or fail absolutely everything else in our world might fail it might fade, but our, the one thing that won't fade, that won't disappear, is our unique, heavenly created and crafted soul. Our bodies fade. Our minds may disappear. I know mine does feel like that sometimes, but our souls remain. And our soul is the one thing we should care for and co- care more about than anything else In this world our salvation is forever it is imperishable the third reason that we have is that the family of God is worth loving I believe a holy Christian life based in God's Word is one that has love for each other at its center emulating God's love for each and every one of us. The Bible is a holy book, but I also happen to believe that it's one of the greatest love stories of all time. Loving each other is a command from Jesus. We can see it in many of the scriptures. In John 13 it says, a new command I give you. We sing this. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another in Romans 12 it says be devoted to one another in brotherly love in Romans 13 it says love does no harm to its neighbor in Ephesians 4 it says be completely humble and gentle be patient bearing with one another in love when you're alienated when you're a stranger it can seem as if you're unloved and on your own when I moved here from Bulawayo to Arari I felt it, it was really difficult to fit in at first. It took me a couple of years before I made any friends, and now here I am. I have the love of a marvelous Harariite who uh, decided to marry me. And when you enter the family of God, when you make that decision to be loved by your Christian family, you then can expect that you can love one another you're not on your own. You have brothers and sisters who will care about you. And this love that God expresses in the Bible is one of his most defining characteristics. This true, unconditional love. He expresses his love in his purest form. And it doesn't matter what kind of people we're dealing with, whether it's someone you like, whether it's someone you can't tolerate, whether it's someone we work with, someone we live with, whatever the case may be, love should always be at the center of where we begin things. Our normal modes of speech, of conduct, of emotions, and thoughts should first and foremost be filled with the love that God has for his family. And the final thing that 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 living with this obedience and holiness, the the, the reward that it has, and that is something that we often overlook, is that the word of God endures forever. The Bible is an important book. I've already told you it's an encyclopedia. It's a love story. But it's more than that. It's the way that God speaks to us. When we read the Bible, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says all scripture is breathed out by God. The word of God, the Bible, is living. It's as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. When Peter was, or however long ago, Peter was writing this, this letter. Even, and even in his letter to the Gentiles and to the exiled Christians, Peter was quoting in that last part of the verses that we're looking at, from the Old Testament book of Isaiah, which was written 800 years before that. If you are not sure, it's the part about the flowers that I'm talking about there. That's from Isaiah, um, where he says, "All people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field." That's from Isaiah. 800 years. I mean, my Mazda outside comes with a 200 page plus instruction manual. And uh, there's a separate 48 page book that tells me just how to use the radio. Now, in 80 years time, let alone 800 years time, I can promise you that information is going to be useless. 80 years ago, a car's accelerator pedal wasn't even in the middle. I mean, it wasn't even in the right. It was in the middle. So these things change. But something that 800 years before Peter was writing this was still relevant to the Christians he was speaking to. And 2,000 years after that, it's still relevant to us. What does it tell us? God's word is living. It tells you right there in the verse. It says the living and abiding word of God. God's word is living. It's relevant to us yesterday. It was relevant to us today. And it will be tomorrow. And it's abiding. It won't ever change. Everything else, people, nature, glories, it will fade. But the word of God stands forever. We, each of us, have the very word of God himself as our rock and our foundation in our life. That's one of the rewards we have for being Christian and for being born again. It doesn't matter how dodgy and shaky the society around us may seem, but God's word will not fail us. In his word, we can put our trust. And so now, as I reach the end of my message today, I want us to look back and see these verses in this section as kind of a good news, bad news situation. I could ask you, what do you want first? Good news or the bad news? But let's be honest. We all like to get good news and none of us like to get bad. Unfortunately, just like the, our fellow Christians who Peter was writing to all that time ago, we're in exile. We face opposition. We're living in a world that doesn't want to hear the good news, doesn't want to hear the Christian message. These people are not interested in hearing what's best for them. God expects us as his children to be something different to that. Our lifestyle is meant to be totally different from what the world thinks is right. Our lifestyle is meant to reflect that we are more willing to love and to serve, to be obedient, to be holy, than to seek meaningless pleasure for just ourselves. God wants us to dare to be exiles, to be alienated, to not conform, To the modern-day norms of acceptance and of compromise. He wants us to do as Paul said in his letter to the Thessalonians where he wrote, brothers and sisters we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, take tender care of those who are weak. Always try to do good to each other and to all people. See that no one pays back evil for evil Always be joyful, never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstance. For this is God's will for you who belong to Jesus Christ. Let us, as exiles in a modern world, be strangers, be different, live differently, be obedient, be holy. And remember that we have God given reasons to be that way. Let us be exiles for the glory and the honor of God. Lord, as we just finish here today, we just hope that we can draw strength from you and courage to be different, to be the exiles in the modern world that we need to be, to stand strong in your word. To live as you would have us. To grow closer to you every day in our thoughts, our actions, in our words. And to set an example for those whom amongst we walk. We ask you to help us to draw them into your kingdom. And most of all, Lord, we ask that you help us to exhibit the love just as you have exhibited to us. We ask this in your son's holy name. Amen. 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 Thanks, everyone.